This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 177 and this week I am very pleased to be joined by a returning guest. Hello Gerard. Hey John, how's it going? Pretty good. What you been up to? Uh, well, I I'm guess sure I... nothing, probably. Well, nothing, but I had a rather <laughs> bizarre week because I had two WWE matches that could make my top 10 at the end of the year. Okay, well, what's, I, I, I'm sure one of them is Walter and Alia, which I haven't watched. What the hell's the other one? Oh, Bailey and Sasha. Oh, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen either one of them yet. So <laughs> there's something about, like, hyped WWE matches that make my brain go, don't watch it. <laughs> like, I just don't. Well, I didn't go uh, as high on Walter and Dragunov as some people did, but I think it's got to be in discussion for, like, at least, like, somewhere in the top ten, possibly. But we'll see when I compile my list at the end of the year. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's nothing else going on, I guess, huh? No, uh, things here in Toronto sort of took a turn for uh, more infections. So we had like restaurants are now just takeout only again. The gym's mm-hmm. closed. And so we're just waiting on that. Uh, they sort of want to open them up next weekend. But uh, the actual like the government, the Ontario government does. But the health officials are like, uh, this is too soon. Yeah, uh, New York is still hanging in there. I have no idea how because every, every other fucking state surrounding us has been awful. I mean, New Jersey is like really climbing, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, but I don't, I don't, I don't know what the hell New York is doing, but like we're the only state that things are not, things are still not that bad here, but we're, we're getting more cases than we were like during the original lockdown in like March, April. Yeah. We're not, I mean, we're the original lockdown. We were like, obviously the worst yeah. place in the world, I mean, but still like the last time I checked the positivity rate was still like under 2% here. So I don't know. I don't know what we're doing right with every other, because every other surrounding state looks much worse right now. But I'm sure people don't want to hear that stuff. So no, not <laughs> no, at this point. But I, we it, can. It's, it's sort of weird. Like there's a certain like level of, like I've been very careful, but I just feel like the way that people talk about life in general now has a certain sense of like pandemic complacency. Almost become the new normal, unfortunately. In a oh, lot sorry, of you got you got cut off there. You said pandemic. Uh, like it's the way that people just sort of talk about like life, like, Oh, how are you doing? It's sort of this weird, like there's a certain acceptance of the new normal that this is all caused. Yeah. Then it was the way that people were talking in like 
April, May. Well, I mean, it's like there's no end in sight. So at this point, what are supposed to, what are people supposed to do? You know? Yeah, exactly. It's like you know. I mean, maybe hopefully it'll be over by the end of 2021. Ha <laughs> ha. Who the fuck knows at this point? Yeah. Uh, but yes, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say uh, you did step on my joke there because I was about to say nobody wants to hear about this topic. What they want to hear about is the United States election, which of course <laughs> is on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have any election hot takes. I think Trump's gonna lose. I hope to God Trump loses, but I don't really, I don't really have any hot takes. I don't like early voting is something that. Well, I say this as a Canadian, but the 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 sort of trends of early voting in the u.s is sort of like the americans are not except for like states like washington state they're not like early voters male voters generally like mail in ballots well, some states so, are like colorado some, some almost, states are yeah. yeah but on the whole i don't know how that's going to sort of like yeah turn into like what that the turnout means because like i'm seeing these like texas um uh, counties that are already doing more turnout than they had in 2016 just on early voting yeah it's crazy so, what that means in the Texas context, I don't know. I mean, I voted uh, this past Wednesday. I did the early, like the early in-person voting, because you know I'm lucky to live like ten minutes. Uh, my normal polling place is like a minute away. Honestly, like I could, it's like the school that I could walk to in a minute. But I'm, I was just figure like you know they might be. I don't know. I just kind of figured there might be a lot of crowds, so I just walked the ten minutes to the early voting place in this church, which apparently was really, really long lines when the early voting first started. But by the time I did it this past Wednesday, like I walked right in, like there was nobody there. So that was nice. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, folks. I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully, hopefully we know who wins by the end of the week and hopefully it's not Donald Trump. I don't really have any, any other big hot takes, but I just, I'm ready for this to be fucking over. That That is for sure. Like I never want to hear about another election. After this fucking thing is over, because it's like people are like, "Oh, we gotta start 2024." Watch, I'm just like, "Fuck off!" How about that? Just fuck off forever. But, well, I mean, even if Biden wins, given how trends are, you got to worry about 2022 to make sure the Democrats don't lose in the House. Yeah, they probably will. Whatever. Like that when you when I, my when your default position is like this entire country is like completely doomed and unsalvageable. Uh, I mean. I don't. I never. I'm never optimistic. I just kind of hope that we get this fucking dipshit out of the White House. But anyway, um, that's also not why people are here. But please, if you if you're in America uh, and you haven't voted yet, please go vote and please vote for Joe Biden. I know he's not great, but you know whatever. If if by chance I have somebody listening who needs to be reminded to go vote, because I, I doubt I have that many Trump supporters listening. If I if I do. Uh, look, I'm making a middle finger to the microphone, but no, I mean, like, uh, fuck you if you're a Trump supporter, but if you're a Biden supporter, please get out there and vote. If you're a Trump supporter, uh, please don't, please just stay home and fuck you. Anyway, (laughs) back to what we're here to talk about today, which is WCW Halloween Havoc. So I should introduce, I guess, the, the new concept here. Um, basically I... I've enjoyed the five matches episodes a lot. What I've noticed is we get a lot of, um, I don't know, like a lot of really, really, really great matches, right? Yeah, because people generally pick really great matches for this. I've tried to pick some shitty ones to mix it up. Like I picked uh, on the, the, the Patreon with Nate from Everything Elite. I picked the WCW Junkyard Battle Royal 
from <laughs> Patch at the Beach, which was, uh, if anything, even more horrendous than I remembered it being. And then with uh, with Mike Spears this past week, also from Everything Elite and uh, Open the Voice Gate, also on the Patreon, uh, I picked the 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 main event, the very first Toriyama X show, which again was quite a bit worse than I remembered it being. Uh, I just saw that like on the list of matches that was on DGNet, and I was like, well, we have to watch this. I mean, but uh, yeah, it was a that that Mike Spears episode by the way is a lot of fun. If you uh, if you're not a patron. Uh, we're recording this on October 31st, so if you happen, if it happens to get up today and you happen to listen to it, wait a day, because otherwise you'll get charged twice and I'm not trying to rip you off. But yeah, November 1st, uh, obviously the best time to join, uh, you know, anytime early November, you get the whole month's worth of stuff, uh, and you can hear that episode I did with Mike Spears last week, which got rave reviews from a few people who listened to it, so... It was a lot of fun for that five matches episode. We went two hours and we rambled a whole lot about, like, uh, you know, New Jersey, shitty New Jersey indies and, uh, you know, all this other shit. I don't even remember what the, half the shit we talked about, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, so definitely go check that one out. Uh, I might as well make this the Patreon plug in general, I guess. Uh, it's patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Um, you get all the content that's already up there. So if you want to go back and listen to all of our G1 coverage, Champion Carnival, uh, Noah N1 Victory, we do tons of one-match episodes. Right now I'm going through uh, matches submitted by Omakase patrons. You, you submitted one too, uh, Gerard. And, you know, like the, the patron picks have been awesome. I mean, pretty much every match that's been submitted so far, we've done six out of the nine, uh, have been, you know, just really incredible matches. So my patrons have great taste, apparently. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just some, some great, uh, that's been a lot of fun. We'll probably do another round of those. So if you want to suggest me a match to review on the Patreon, you can do that. Um, but yeah, that's what we've been doing lately. We also did all the Okada Tanahashi matches in chronological order. We did all the Naito Ishii matches in chronological order. Those series are up there complete, ready, ready for you to listen to. Those are a lot of fun. And then coming up in November, we're going to be going back into tournament coverage. So we'll be covering every single... I mean, we'll be covering some on the free feed, but every single show that we don't cover on the free feed will be coming on the covering on the Patreon. So you get every single New Japan Best of Super Junior show, every single World Tag League show, and every single DDT DO show. So we're going to cover the DO, so that should be a lot of fun. Um, I think they're announcing the participants at Ultimate Party uh, on November 3rd <laughs> to tie back into there's like two big Puro shows on November 3rd it's really funny I know it's like some kind of Japanese holiday I forget which one but uh do you know which one off the top of your head Gerard I'm uh I'm just gonna take a stab and it might be the wrong one is it Seniors Day let's say no it's Culture Day there you go Culture Day a day of culture so yes, uh, <laughs> Culture Day is going on in Japan at the same time we have our shitty election. So that's why there's like a big DDT show, DDT Ultimate Party, a big Dragon Gate show, uh, Gate of Destiny, right, Osaka? Yes. Yeah. So that's uh, those are both going on that day. But anyway, so at Ultimate Party, they're going to announce the DO participants, and we'll be covering that on the Patreon should be a lot of fun. And again, it's only $5 to get access to all the stuff I'm talking about, plus even more stuff I didn't even mention. So patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase to get all of that. Now, back to the concept here. I wanted to do retro stuff, um, you know, but like in a different way. So I came up with this retro roulette gimmick. Now, this is not a new concept. There's plenty of other podcasts that have done like random wrestling matches before. It's only a new concept for omakase, but... 
I figured a great first one to do would be Halloween Havoc, since today is Halloween, first of all. And I just kind of got the urge to watch some old WCW. Now, watching some old WCW really got rid of that urge very quickly. <laughs> like, by the time I was on the fourth or fifth match, I was like, this is a terrible idea. Why did I do this? <laughs> because, like, not that all these matches were bad. Some of them were pretty good. But, oh my god, these fucking finishes. I could not believe, like, every single... We wanted, we picked six matches at random, okay? So, first of all, I picked six shows at random. So, six Halloween Havocs. We got 93, 94... Uh, 95, 96, 98, 99. So those were the six shows that were picked at random. And then we I picked one match from each show at random too. I picked six out of whatever matches. Every single one of them did not have a clean finish. Every single one had some kind of terrible finish. It was like, did, did they just... Like, I remember Nitro being nothing but terrible finishes, but I guess I honestly forgot... Like, how bad the finishes were on WCW pay-per-views. I don't know. Did you... Were you surprised by this, or did you just not have any... You was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I was more surprised that some of the mid-card stuff had the unclean finishes. Right? Like, it, like Perry Saturn can't just... Hogan match should be different, I think. Like, Perry Saturn yeah. can't just beat Eddie Guerrero? Like, what the fuck? Like, that was the, 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 the shit that really surprised me. It's like, yeah, main event, fine. But Perry Saturn can't just beat Eddie Guerrero, or, or vice versa. It's like it's incredible. I don't know. Like that. Like it makes me want to go through these shows and be like, did any of these matches have clean finishes? It is like it's incredible. But uh, we're, we're gonna go through them one at a time here. We'll also talk about some of the stuff we uh, we missed along the way that the the random uh, the randomizer did not give us, which could have been better or worse. But uh, but yeah, that's a general idea. So do you have any like big picture thoughts for you getting each match? Um. I miss those Halloween Havoc sets. <laughs> yeah, they were all, they were, the sets were awesome. Yeah, uh, you know, but I mean, like, they, like I don't know, like, they, at the same time, it made me, you know, I get the nostalgia was there because it's like, at least when I put this on, you know, it was just a bunch of wrestling matches. <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like, you know, American wrestling has gotten so fucking far away now from being wrestling right and i'm not trying to sound like old old man yells at cloud but like i don't know it just feels like everything in american wrestling now is like a soliloquy you know like a fucking uh like some kind of play you know with roman and jay uso or you know a literal literal song and dance with jericho and mjf and like i don't know it's like well we didn't watch the wcw mini movies (laughs) oh i actually did watch one oh did you but uh, but yeah, so but, many movies were there. That was true. That's a good but point. I will say that even the shitty matches still felt like a lot more traditional pro wrestling than some of the stuff you see today. Yeah. So actually, that's a great transition. The mini movie. So 1993, the non-title spin the wheel, make the deal, Cactus Jack versus Big Van Vader. That's the first one we got. Uh, I did watch the opening of the Halloween. Did you watch the opening of this 93 Halloween Havoc? I didn't know. Okay. But so I have it, seen it before. It starts with... I had never seen this, so this is amazing. It starts with a bunch of, like, southern kids arguing, okay? Uh, this is, like, one of the infamous mini-movies, but really one of the lesser-known ones, I feel like. So the kids... Uh, and, and keep in mind, this is how a wrestling pay-per-view began. The kids head up to a very spooky-looking house. Uh, one of the kids keeps saying, let's just go home and watch Halloween Havoc. Which I thought was just kind of funny. No kid was ever saying that in 1993. Uh... A stoned and very young-looking Tony Schiavone answers the door. 
Not at all who I was expecting to be in this mini-movie. He invites them inside to eat cookies in the creepiest manner possible. Like, I, the seven gimmick, remember in 99, they, they thought it was like a like a pedophile thing? Like, this was like, yep. oh my god. Uh, he invites them inside, you know, like to eat cookies, like I said. And then, like, this thing is just, I, you have to see this if you've never seen it before. He makes this creepy smile at the camera as he closes the door. Like, the creepiest smile of all time. And uh, he starts telling them about spin the wheel, make the deal. The kids don't give a shit about this fucking stipulation. And one of the kids, like, pokes him in the nose repeatedly and says, I don't care about WCW. Uh, Show me something spooky. Tony says, fine. You kids want to be scared? He pulls off his face to reveal some kind of werewolf monster. And then we just fade to the wheel. I guess he eats the kids, but there you go. Uh, I, I don't even know, like what, why that was made. I have no idea what that was supposed to accomplish. I have no idea. It's never talked about it. Like they just go. Tony's just there. He's like, "Hi, kids. I'm here." That's right. We opened up with me killing these children, but I'm here, and it's like, what? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I maybe I have seen this. I just totally forgot about it. But like, uh, that was something. Shivani plays a tremendous creep. <laughs> he, he really I, does, apparently. Um, so this match we got, we got the, the main event here, which was the non-title, uh, spin the wheel, make the deal match, which it ended up being a Texas death match. Um, I watched them spin the wheel too, which they did not even try to pretend they weren't gimmicking this wheel. I mean, this wheel slowed down like to a crawl before it got to Texas death. So, um, as far as other stuff we could have gotten this show, I, I really don't remember this show very well, so I don't know what was good or bad. Looking at just looking at the card, um, I would have kind of liked to see Dustin Rhodes and Steve Austin, I guess, for the U.S. title. Uh, that could have been cool. Um, you know, Sting versus Sid Vicious only went like ten minutes. That might have been interesting. Ric Flair against Rick Rue for the international world heavyweight title, the very different title there. <laughs> but that one ended in a DQ, so yeah, there you go. I don't know how that would have been. And it went almost 20 minutes, too. Yeah, Dave only gave it three and a quarter. Anything stand out to you on this card that we either were saved from or, uh, you know, should have watched? It seems like Just, it was a pretty good show. I mean, it has a 7.121 cage match. To me, it would be the Dustin and Austin match, because I've actually been watching uh, some old Steve Austin stuff. Uh, I actually watched the match, uh, like, two weeks ago, the match where he uh, injured where he injured Chono's neck for the first time. Oh, yeah. Because it's on New Japan World. And it's an awesome match. I mean, it sort of falls apart at the end because Chono's, like, got his bell rung and he just sort of slapped on that STF out of nowhere for the win. But up until that pile driver, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I really love Austin during the, in his WCW run, so mm-hmm. that would have been interesting to see. But, yeah, there's nothing on this card where I'm like, oh, thank God we didn't get that. I mean, the opener sounds pretty bad. Charlie Norris, Ice Train... And the Shockmaster defeating Harlem Heat and the Equalizer. That was probably pretty bad. So I guess we dodged a bullet there, but not a lot otherwise. Uh, let's see here. So let's get into the actual match, I guess. Um, I I have to say, this is a this is a pretty famous match, and you know, it has has some pretty high ratings in places. I mean, Dave gave it four and three quarters. I was pretty disappointed. I don't know how you felt about it, but like it did not hold up for me. Um, you know, it was good, but like, not like, you know, one of the best matches ever or anything like that, because 
and we'll get into it, I guess, as we go. But like, there's, you know, it is there's a lot of stuff that is very brutal. But I think you know a lot of stuff that's just like, well, you know, it doesn't really hold up in 2020 eyes, and like the finish is just like horrifically bad, which we'll talk about. And that that, if anything, you know, like one of the worst finishes for a major main event I've seen in a while. And, like it took I, I took like half a star off. That's how much I hated that finish. But I don't know. Do you have any big picture thoughts on the match before we get into the recap? Yeah, it doesn't hold up, um, but it has the brutality. So I can sort of understand if you're looking through 1993 eyes and you've never seen like Japanese deathmatch or something that it would have been like, holy shit, what is this? Um, but yeah, and then it just sort of falls apart at the finish. Yeah. But uh, I thought, you know, it was going, it had its moments of greatness, but it just had like, like that part where they sort of like go into the grave and underground. Yeah. Where they blade, and it's like this is just a stupid waste of time. You guys are professionals. You could have bladed like by not doing that. Yeah. Uh, so they just, like, so I, they explained the very simple uh, Texas Deathmatch stipulation in about the dumbest and most confusing way possible. Uh, Gary Michael Capetta was the ring announcer at this point, right? I yes. think so. He says, yeah. "Here's a direct quote: Falls don't count. Thirty second rest period between falls." Back to back. Huh? <laughs> so the falls don't count, but there's a 30 second run. Now, what he's trying to say is the falls don't end the match, but like, it just doesn't really make any sense. Well, that 30 second rest period is also crappy. And yeah. Matter. I think that, that, if, that wasn't like how they were all done back in the day, right? I don't remember that. No, I don't remember yeah. that. Yeah. And like the 30 second rest period, it's like, it, it sucks a lot of the drama out of it because it's like, so basically. In a normal Texas death match, which I just covered one on the Omakase Patreon, that was awesome. Uh, Irie and uh, Akito from DDT in 2015. A normal Texas death match is just like you pin the guy or submit the guy, and then immediately they start a 10 count. So it's like a last man standing match where you have to pin the guy first, which I think works better than a last man standing match because you don't get like you still get all the normal near falls of a wrestling match without having to get, you know, have the guy slowly count to 10 every single time he's knocked down. So that, that part of it's good. The problem here is the 30 second rest period they put in here, it totally saps the match of the drama because after every, every time someone gets pinned, they don't just start counting. They give them 30 seconds to recover and then they start counting. And like the guy's already back up practically. Uh, yeah. Most they, were, they were on their knees when the 10 count started, like I think in almost every fall. Yeah, it just, it, it sapped a lot of the drama out of it. So that was just a, a brain fart that just didn't work at all. And I'm glad that did not become standard for the stipulation. Uh, so Jack, he jumps Vader on the ramp and they start brawling immediately. Uh, Jack comes back, like, by biting Vader. Um, and we get, like, a steel chair shot directly to the head of Vader that definitely would not fly today. Um, and then Vader uses his very stiff offense in the ring, which uh, busts Jack open under his eye hard way. And then Jack comes back by suplexing Vader from inside the ring onto the elevated ramp. And then Jack gives him a Saito suplex out there for good measure. This stuff is good. This stuff is really fun. Um, then we get to the part you talked about where they get they go up to the graveyard. They fall into Vader's grave. Cactus gets up first and climbs out. Uh, this grave, quote unquote, it's not like those WWE Buried Alive matches where they like you know, they have a plot of land and they dug a grave and everything. It's just a big hole in the stage, complete with the steps to get in and out. It looks weird. It does not look anything like a grave. So, you know, that's not a great thing right there, like, aesthetically. Um, and like you said, Cactus climbs up first, heads back to the ring. Vader takes forever and comes up all bloody, like he bladed. 
which is, you know, like you said, it's just kind of silly. It's like these guys can't play without falling into a fake grave. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Then then Jack, Cactus Jack, like runs over, immediately hits a big clothesline on the ramp, covers him. It looks like a two count. Jesse Ventura on commentary thought it was a two count, but I guess Vader actually kicked out right after three. So that's our first pin of the match, which is not a not a great start for the pins. And then Vader gets a thirty second rest period uh, before the ref starts counting. He gets up immediately because again he had thirty seconds to recover, and then Jack. Uh, immediately hits him with a fake cactus. That's kind of funny. But yeah. Um, they they keep... They brawl and brawl here. Jesse gets an all-time great burn in here. Do you remember what it was? No. Uh, here's the direct quote. I guess the only positive thing out of it is they were both pretty ugly to begin with, so they're not going to get no uglier. <laughs> I laughed a lot at that. That was a, that was a great line. I was going to say, Jesse and Tony are actually pretty underrated, I think. As yeah, they were a fun, ta- they were a fun uh, commentary team. And then Tony was dressed as Jesse Ventura yeah. as Halloween costume in this. Yeah, that was pretty good. What? When does Jesse leave? It's like ninety four, right? Pretty when good. Hogan comes in. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So Vader. There's like a really. There's a very silly spot here. So they they set this table up in the ring. Uh. Vader. Jack eventually like sends Vader like into its stomach first, which looks very silly because Vader basically goes running toward it. And then jumps in midair like, here I come, table. Like he's trying to give it a hug or something. And it doesn't even break. It just looks very goofy. The table uh, didn't look like it was going to break. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jack gets a two count off that and hits him with the table. Um, Vader does hit Jack with a pretty brutal looking chair shot. He got one of these like thick chairs, not like a pro wrestling steel chair. And he looks like he hit him with the legs of the chair too. Uh, and this is also where we see Harley race. Uh, you know, has a taser, which will unfortunately play into the finish. Uh, Vader, like, very slowly climbs to the top and hits the Vader salt. Looks pretty bad, as his moonsaults always did, but who cares, because he's gigantic and did a moonsault. Uh, that lets him pin Cactus for the first time, but Cactus beats the camp pretty quickly after the rest period. Um, but yeah, they end up back on the ramp. Uh, we get the famous Vader falling backwards with Cactus on his back spot. That does look fucking brutal. And this crowd has not been great, but even they reacted big to that one because it looked like Vader just killed Jack. Uh, unfortunately, Vader then picks up a chair. He plasters Jack upside the head with it. That's good. But then he hits a pretty bad-looking DT on the chair. I mean, like, Jack, his head made, like, no contact with the chair at all. And that's, like, a big spot in the match because... To they, be fair to Big Foley, he didn't need any more <laughs> contact, <laughs> contact true. head to the chair. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but they they tease the stoppage. They bring out the trainer, and I wish that kind of had been the finish, given what they did after that. So Vader pushes the trainer away, pins him. Jack recovers before the thirty second rest period is over. DDTs Vader on the chair. They both fall down. The referee starts the ten count anyway. I don't know why he's counting. 10 when Jack was already back up. It's like, basically apparently you can recover during the 30 second rest period, do another move, and then if both of you, both guys are down they'll just start the 10 count anyway. It's very stupid. I mean like, why are we even counting Vader down? Vader's not the one who got pinned. Because he's counting both of them down. And it's like, it doesn't make any sense. And then, uh, to add to the nonsense, Harley Race hits Jack in the leg with the stun gun. Jack falls back down, and that makes Vader the winner because he's up and Jack isn't. Uh, so Jack immediately recovers anyway, and DET's Harley Race. 
Uh, okay. So a lot of it's a lot of this is it's fun in a car crash type of way. A lot of it is very slow in plotting. And the ending is horrible. So horrible. They just should have done the fucking stop and finish they were teasing after the DET. Because, like, it doesn't make any sense that Jack got back up in 30 seconds after they were just teasing that he was out. It doesn't make any sense that Jack, uh, DDT Vader, and then the ref started counting both of them out when, you know, Vader wasn't the one who got pinned. And obviously the stun gun shit just fucking sucks. Uh, and then he no-sold afterwards anyway. He got right back up in DDT to Harley Race. Uh, I went three and a half. It, like, the finish is so bad, to me it takes off half a star. Uh, it's just not at all a satisfying payoff to what was a very physical match before that. Uh, it just doesn't work at all, the finish. So, there you go. I just went three stars. I mean, you know, it was there, and I liked some of the the brutal hits, but that was it, you know. It was like, oh. Uh. And the finish sucked and everything. <laughs> and, and one part that I, I laughed at loud at this, you know the first time they show Harley Race with the, the taser? Yeah. And then Tony's like, oh, what's that he's got there? And then he's like clicking it on. And then he's like, oh, I see the camera sees me and he hides it. And I'm like, this is like the lamest, like, I'm hiding something from everyone thing. Like, Harley Race is interesting because they book him doing the stupidest shit as a manager, but yet he still has pretty good, like, heel manager charisma. Yeah. I feel. But they just have him do the stupidest shit. As we'll a... talk about later as well. <laughs> he was just a fucking terrible manager. I mean, like, not not in the way he... Well, yeah, but he was a terrible, terribly booked manager, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, he never came across to me as, like, someone who, um, you know, was really, like, helping his client, you know, win or whatever. But, like, he... Like you said, he had decent charisma and stuff, but he just always came off like... I don't know. He just always came off like a very ineffective manager. It was very weird. Um... That brings us now to 1994, which is obviously the following year. A lot has changed in that year since now we're in the, the start of the Hogan era. Uh, the match we got here was Vader versus the Guardian Angel, which only went 8 minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, we'll get into who the Guardian Angel was if we don't know, because it's pretty funny. <laughs> but we we really fucking, uh, you know, we dodged a lot of bullets on this show looking at the card. Yeah. I mean, we could have gotten Johnny B. Bad versus the Hockey Talk Man, a 10-minute draw. Uh, we could have gotten, let's see, Dave, the, the epic Sullivan brother battle between uh, Dave and Kevin. Uh, we could have gotten the Jim, Jim Duggan-Steve Austin DQ match that ends Austin WCW, Austin's WCW career. Um, the only good match I guess we didn't get that apparently was quite good uh, was the WCW title match main event in the cage with Hogan and Flair. Uh Dave gave that four and a quarter. I don't remember liking it that much, but it was pretty good. Was it better than their... Like, I haven't seen it in so long, but I remember, like, thinking the Bash at the Beach 94 match was pretty good. And yeah. I'm just wondering if it's better than that, but I can't remember. I think the Bash at the Beach one was better, but who knows? I mean, it was... The Hogan Flair match has always had a certain baseline to me, so I'm sure that probably was pretty good. But yeah, we, we dodged a bunch of bullets here. We got a pretty, pretty fun little match here, I think. I don't know what your overall thoughts were yeah i thought it was a fun little match i mean there's like little things you could critique about the finish yeah you know but it was fun while it lasted as we're talking about all these finishes were fucking terrible uh but yeah so this is more vader obviously he's our only wrestler who shows up twice here um you know this is one of his matches in his long feud uh with ray trailer aka the big boss man aka now the guardian angel uh they wrestled each other 27 times in 1994 if you include house shows uh, without how shows, it's about six times. So Vader defeated the boss, 
at Spring Stampede in April 94. Uh, very shocking that WWF would have a problem with that name. Just like, <laughs> I always thought that was like so. And then, but the commentary didn't help because it's like, he's the boss. Oh man, he's big. You know. Oh, they would say like that. that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's really, it really is something. But yeah, they, 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 they basically threatened to sue them. And then, uh, you know, WWF. So they changed this gimmick to the Guardian Angel, which was, okay. So the Guardian Angels are like this group of, I don't know, like neighborhood watches, right? I, I, yeah, I've never, I've never seen one in real life, so I have no idea. They were a lot bigger in the 80s during like the New York crime wave and stuff like that. And that's where they sort of. Uh, came into like prominence but they sort of I, don't, I guess they still exist i'm not sure but i think the, their relevance has faded away now that like crime has dropped and everything like that yeah so they're basically just like you know narcs right they're basically just like yeah people, they basically are yeah yeah standing around and looking for shit to narc on uh they have these like wacky i don't know like maroon jackets i guess uh but yeah so he so he i mean it, it, it kind of was a clever little rebranding i guess i mean it makes sense you know, if you're going to have a babyface cop and you can't do the cop gimmick, then I guess do a babyface guardian angel gimmick. But uh, I think the guardian angels got mad, right? That's why they had to change it. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So, because he turns heel, basically after the end of this feud in early 95, he turns heel and he goes back to being Big, Bu- Big Bubba Rogers. And I think that's the gimmick he uses until he leaves. So, Which was fine. He had like what, he wore the, like the suspenders and the shirt. Yeah. and everything it was it was like a perfectly good gimmick that these like sort of attempting to they had they were obsessed with like keeping it somehow close to boss man which was just so indicative of wcw yeah and then uh you know i think he's what he's in like i think he's in the dungeon of doom until he leaves basically but i don't know uh but yeah so he beats so vader beats guardian angel by dq at bash of the beach in july uh, Guardian Angel beats him by DQ on an episode of Main Event in August. Uh, Vader beats Sting and Guardian Angel in a number one contendership triangle match at Fall Brawl, which he would not get the title shot until, what, like, fucking February, I think. <laughs> so uh, that was a real number one contender match there. And then Guardian Angel beats him by DQ again on an episode of Saturday Night a few nights later. And now this is their sixth and final meeting on TV here from Halloween Havoc. Um... These matches all kind of blended together for me, so I don't often remember which is which, but I remember them having some pretty good chemistry, so I was excited to watch this. Uh, the recap video showed us how Garden Angel got DQ'd. He got DQ'd for not hitting Vader with a nightstick. Did you see this? Yes. Like, Vader tried to bring it in. Uh, the Angel picked it up, held onto it for like a million years. It's like... Sir, if you're not going to hit him with this, why don't you just put it down? He just he held onto it for so long uh, before the referee just assumes he must have hit him with it and DQ yeah, it. If you pick up a weapon, don't you have to drop it in the five count anyway, though? Yeah, I guess so. The referee didn't. The referee didn't start any count though. He just looked at him with the fucking weapon and was like DQ. So I don't know. Um, and then we see the DQ from Saturday night with Vader and Race leaving him, leave him, leaving him laying, and there we go. Uh, a bunch of other guardian angels lead him to the ring here, which I thought was, uh, I'm sure those are probably just indie wrestlers, but who knows. They claim it's other members of the guardian angels from all throughout the United States. So, you know, I doubt that, but who knows? Uh, Vader spots Muhammad Ali at ringside and gives him a, you're the man, which Muhammad Ali looks like he could barely remember his name at that point. But, uh, he did, uh, he, that was pretty cool just for Vader to do that, you know? 
Because obviously Vader always said he was the man. So uh, Then we see the Guardian Angel goes... So basically, the, 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 the story of this match, Guardian Angel goes right after Harley Race when he comes out. Uh, at first, it's kind of smart because he seems like he's been getting involved in all these matches. Uh, the problem is he, he just does not let this go and it will eventually come back to bite him. Um, Vader, which is actually kind of funny, he doesn't seem to give a fuck about this vicious assault on his beloved manager because he starts off the match by just posing. And it's like, buddy, he just beat the shit out of your manager. Like, you don't care at all? But I guess not. Uh, it's sort of weird to see Harley taking those bumps and that because his neck and back were so fucked even at that point. Like, that's, like, why he had to retire from in-ring competition. Yeah. So I mean, sort of like, uh this is like the end of his manager, managerial career too, right? I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, he's not around much longer after this. Yeah, because I don't remember him being around in like he he's not out there with Vader in '95 during that uh, the Hogan Vader feud, I think. So I don't know. Yeah, but he's definitely gone whenever Vader's gone. Uh, Vader, you know, he comes back with uh, you know Angel gives him these slaps to the face. Vader comes back with these palm strikes and his own clubbing blows to the Guardian Angel. Uh, we get a great call from Tony here. Tony's like, Vader's doing what he does best. He's a big grizzly bear. He mauls you. Just, you know, he really, like, puts over the top that Vader is, like, you know, this animal. Uh, Vader just, like, continues pounding away. He holds on to Angel's wrist. We get some wrist control here in October 94. Uh, and then he clotheslines him all the way to the floor. Angel, like, he, took, he takes this weird, almost slow-motion bump as he heads over. But the landing... Looks kind of cool. Like, he just snaps his head down there. So, it works by the end of it, I guess. Yeah, he's always a great bumper. Yeah. Uh, On the floor, Angel, like, reverses Vader. Sends him into the railing. uh, Clotheslines him and pounds away. He nails Harley Race when Harley tries to attack him from behind. Uh, And then he sends Harley in the ring and just slams him and keeps pounding on him. Uh, Vader comes in after him and, you know, Garden Angel just keeps pounding on him. Um, and then he slams Vader onto Harley pretty hard, which, like you said, for a guy who was, like, retired at this point, that looked like it sucked. Um, the crowd really loved it, though, so. Um, Harley Race rolls to the floor. Uh, Angel keeps stopping on... He teases stopping on Vader's balls, but then he settles for a leg drop. Uh, just keeps pounding. He hits a stinger splash in the corner, which, another great call from the announcer, the brain describes it as being, like, two Amtraks colliding. I just thought that was kind of funny. It's like, why was Amtrak in the news in 1994? <laughs> just kind of funny. Um, Angel tries to suplex Vader. Uh, Vader reverses, but Angel eventually does get the big suplex. Um, Vader, though, comes back with these vicious-looking punches and a big clothesline to the face, which is his first bit of offense in forever. Uh, he tries the second rope shoulder block off of there, but Angel like catches him in midair and slams him. That looked awesome. That's probably the best spot of the match, I think. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, Angel hits a sloppy-looking diving headbutt, but Vader... Oh, I hated that diving headbutt. I had that <laughs> in my notes. One of the worst diving headbutts I've ever seen, actually. It, it was Because really he lands bad. on his knees, basically. <laughs> and then really... decides to, like, drop his head down on Vader. Yeah, it was really bad. Uh, Vader kicks out, too, thankfully. Um, we get, like, a... We... But he follows that up with a pretty nice-looking Enzigiri. Which you would not expect a nice-looking Enzigiri from a Ray Trailer, but it worked here. And he does, like, a cross-chap to the throat and a palm strike. He's, like, trying all sorts of shit here. Um, Angel just, like... There was an ugly spot where, like... Okay, so 
it seems like both guys were on, on different pages. Um, and Vader ends up hitting a clothesline. Angel just kind of awkwardly goes down like he wasn't expecting that, you know? Like, it, it really looks quite bad and, like, hurts the momentum the match had been building up at that point. Um, Vader then slams Angel down, set, goes to second rope and hits the Vader bomb, covers him. Angel kicks out too. I was a little surprised that wasn't the finish. It would have been a perfectly fine finish. Uh, Vader goes up again, tries a second Vader bomb. This time Angel gets his knees up. Uh, he hits his own, like, standing splash and gets a two count. He has a, a quick and, like, a little bit sloppy-looking spine buster. Tony inex- inexplicably calls that a sidewalk slam, which I'm like, sir, I, I feel like he called a hundred so different... I, I heard that call, and I was like, what is a sidewalk slam? Because I've heard a lot of things called the sidewalk slam. And I always thought the spine buster was, like, the way that Arn Anderson does it with the... He twists over, right? Yeah. I mean, I thought the sidewalk slam was, like, the... That side slam where like you're almost like gonna do a backbreaker, but instead you just slam the guy down. But I don't know. Who fucking Okay, yeah, that right. I just thought that was a side slam. Because like, you know, the rocks spine buster, I did think that was a sidewalk slam. I see. So that was my confusion, but I could be wrong. But that's just what I always Yeah. Assume that was the difference between the two moves. Well, whatever, it doesn't matter. But the point is though, uh Angel then hits the Boss Man Slam, which is called the Spike Slam here. Uh, but instead of just... Okay, and here's where things get very stupid. He's on top of Vader, right? He lands on top of Vader. Instead of trying to just staying on top of him to cover him, he inexplicably starts chasing Harley Race after Harley was, like, sort of getting up on the apron. But who cares? I mean, he can't do anything from there. If he tra- jumps in the ring and attacks you, then you win by DQ. Just pin the guy. He chases Harley Race uh, before Harley's even done anything. He suplexes him back in the ring, but just as he lands, Vader splashes him, and that's the fucking pin. Like, wow. Another, we're 0 for 2 here on good finishes. Um, Like, the timing at the end was almost impressive. You know, like, when Vader's slamming him, the moment he hit the ring from from the suplex. But to me, it doesn't make it any less of a stupid finish. Just pin the guy. Why are you chasing Harley Race? Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It was a pretty enjoyable little power battle that I was quite into at times, but, like, I, I can't go higher than, like, three and a quarter after that fucking finish, so I don't regret watching it, but, uh, you know, they book a fucking clean finish, WCW. I also went, uh, three and a quarter on this for more or less the exact same reasons and a little bit of sloppiness, but it was really fun. But, John, do you know what title, non-WCW title Vader was holding at this time in this match? Was it, like, UWF or something? Yeah, he was a UWFI champion. <laughs> so it was just sort of funny to sort of, like, see the contrast there. Yeah, it's, uh... I don't know. Just say... This this match, like, I, I think if, if you're only going to watch one match that we talk about, you might as well watch this one because it was not that long and, you know, it was pretty fun. But, like, I don't know. Like, just... Why can't Vader just beat Ray Trailer? Would, would the world end if Vader just hit a Vader bomb on fucking Ray Trailer and pinned him? Well, it goes for this... It goes for the same for the last match. Like... <laughs> Cactus Jack wasn't that protected either. Yeah. Right? It just, just does, you know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Finishes are terrible. Uh, moving on to 1995. So we missed a lot of shit here on this show. We The match we got was Lex Luger versus Ming, which was pretty bad. But uh, <laughs> there was also, you know, like, look at this card. There was uh, Randy Savage and Zodiac, which only went a minute and 30 seconds. Uh, Zodiac is Brutus Beefcake. Uh, we could have seen Kurosawa 
Uh, you know who Kurosawa is. I'm, well, I, I know you know, but I don't know if the listeners know who that is. That is Manabu Nakanishi. Uh, and he took on Road Warrior Hawk. That only went three minutes. That would have been interesting. Uh, Sabu and Mr. JL, Jerry Lynn, which also went three minutes, was on this show. This is stuff I would have liked to see, honestly. So uh, I guess we missed out on some good stuff. Um, we might have seen the worst match on the show, looking at this card, actually. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, we could have gotten Ric Flair and Sting against Arn and Brian Pillman, the famous uh, Flair turn. Uh, we could have gotten Savage and Luger, which is the the match Luger confusingly earned by beating Ming. And But actually, no, the main event was pretty terrible, too, if I remember correctly. Uh, the Giant and Hulk Hogan. What Was uh, which... the Monster Truck battle in the randomizer? No, I didn't put it in the randomizer. I should I should have. <laughs> but yeah, the the giant Hogan, uh, that went seventeen minutes. So it was a lot longer, like four minutes four minutes longer than uh, the match we had to watch. So that was probably worse. So that that match was pretty, was pretty terrible. But yeah, that was the main event. Uh, but yeah, this was like a very weird period for WCW. Like the the storylines were so weird during this period. Like Hogan was teasing going to the dark side, but it was actually a trick. And, like, Luger had come back to the company. Like, okay, if he wins this match against Ming, who, remember, is a heel, a member of Dungeon of Doom, Luger gets to face Randy Savage later. Why does Luger have to beat a member of the Dungeon of Doom to get a match with Randy Savage? I, I They never explained that. I have no idea... I was going to say, I didn't know, and I wasn't going to bother to try to find out. But apparently, yeah. there was no reason. Like, they never explained that, why Lego has to do that. Um, why do you want to fight Savage? I have no idea. I have no idea what their issue was or anything. Um, like, this was a little before my time. I didn't really start watching uh, WCW as a kid until 1997. I've never gone back and watched, like, these 95, like, early Nitros. So I can't really tell you what the fuck is going on here exactly. Well, but... yeah, Lego had only been back a month. Yeah. So Lugo comes back. They're teasing some kind of conspiracy with the Dungeon of Doom. I think that eventually would be the case. Because obviously he he's on their team by the time you get to, uh, I guess, March for that horrendous, um, you know, uncensored steel cage match, the 10 on 2. I mean, he's on their team during that match. Uh, I don't know how we get there. I don't know what happens after that. Because he's, again, a babyface again by the time the NWO invasion starts. So, I don't know. I have no idea. The crowd still reacts to him like he's a face here, so I guess he, he hadn't quite turned yet, but they, they definitely did tease uh, there was some kind of conspiracy. Like, Luger, he attacks Ming right at the bell. Uh, we hear from the announcers that there's some kind of conspiracy because the dungeon never attacks Luger when they run out to attack other people. Uh, this was just like the Putty Patrol and Tommy... In the original Power Rangers, you, your Power, your Power. Remember, they would yeah. never attack Tommy, and the other Rangers are finally like, "Huh, that's weird." And it turned out because he was the Green Ranger. But yes, um, <laughs> I know. Like, like I said, like by the time we get to Uncensored, Luger's like fully heal and team with the Dungeon. But I don't know in the Alliance to end Hulkamania. But I don't, I don't know how we get there. I really have no idea. So it's very, it's a very weird thing. And this match, boys, this match suck. Oh my god, uh, I can't believe. Are you even gonna try to recap this whole thing? Uh, I'm guessing you do not want me to, but uh, <laughs> I wrote down some. I wrote down some stuff. Um, okay, so Luger, he grabs a side headlock, he stomps on Ming, catapults from the turnbuckle. Now, I always thought Ming's thing in WCW was like he was this unbeatable monster, right? But he's getting his fucking ass kicked here. 
Like, Ming doesn't do anything in the early portion of this match, except he eventually rolls Luger up in a small package out of nowhere. A pretty good small package, actually. But, like, I, wasn't Ming, like, the big monster in WCW? Okay, like, what the so hell? I feel like Ming was booked more as a monster in the last couple of years of the company than he was... I can't. When did I can't remember when he comes in. Well, no, but... no, no. But I remember a match with. Uh, I remember a match with Sting from earlier this year, at, like Batch of the Beach, where like he he no sells like everything Sting does in that match, and like works it as like the total monster. So I don't know. That's it, it, I, I don't I don't know. I, very weird. It's just WCW. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Because I remember that match pretty clearly. Like he definitely no sells like all of Sting's offense. So that's what that's what I was expecting him to do here. But here he's like he's just fucking getting his ass kicked by Luger. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like like Braid at one point says it takes a lot to hurt Ming. But like he spent this entire match selling for Lex Luger. Like Luger, if anything, is treating him like a fucking jobber. So I don't know. Um, we get like. There, oh, there's a great brain line, too. Uh, he, he's, like, thinking about how... He's talking about how the, the Taskmaster, of course, Kevin Sullivan, is always thinking bad thoughts. And he says, quote, Every day is Halloween havoc for the Taskmaster. I, just, I love that line. Um, but, yeah, Ming, Ming eventually hits some punches that look like they missed by about 50 feet. Uh, hits a kick to the gut and a shoulder block, which is, like, his first offensive flurry of the entire match. Uh, Luca does sell it pretty well. Luca was, like, an, always an underrated... Uh, selling guy for me. Like, he, he was pretty good at selling when he would do it. Um, but then Ming, like, stretches Luger's arm in the ropes. He starts choking him in the corner. Very exciting. He finally hits a pretty nice pile driver that gets a two count. Uh, pile driver did look pretty good. But then he chokes Luger some more and slaps on a chin lock. Because the pretty cool pile driver was all the excitement we could handle, I guess. Uh, but yeah, Ming, you know, hits a backdrop suplex for a two count. Luger rolls to the floor. We get some super exciting nothing for a while before he just rolls back in. Uh, did they really need to kill time in this show that badly? Like, I don't... Like, they just did nothing. Like, nothing at that point. Uh, very exciting stopping from Ming as he, Luger rolls back in. Um, and then Ming misses a drop kick, Lands pretty hard. He charges Luger. Gets back by a drop to the floor. Uh, Ming gets back up on the apron and goes for a superplex, but... Luger reverses and then suplexes, or not a superplex, just a regular suplex. And Luger reverses and suplexes Ming into the ring instead. And then Ming suddenly starts playing Monster again. He, like, no-sells Luger's first two clotheslines, go goes down for the third clothesline. Uh, Luger then, Irish whips him, hits a big back body drop, two more clotheslines, a running power slam. Uh, but then Ming, while he's down, pulls out the golden spike. I don't even know what that is. Like, some kind of, like, little uh, foreign object. Hits Luger with it. But when Ming covers Luger, Kevin Sullivan comes in and kicks Luger, laying under Ming. So apparently, since he kicked Luger, Luger wins by DQ, even though Sullivan was breaking up a pin that would have had uh, Ming win. <laughs> what the fuck? It's a conspiracy. Yes. So we're 0 for 3 in good finishes. Um, Ming gets mad at Taskmaster. Taskmaster points out, now Luger fight. I can't do a Boston accent. He's like, now Luger fights Savage. Uh, okay. What, why Luger had to beat Ming to fight Savage anyway? I can't tell you. And just, very stupid storyline. Match sucked. Uh, there were like a few moments and moves that were decent, but like, 
the supposed monster uh, did not start acting like a monster at all, or no selling anything until the very end of the match. Boring as hell all out of the way. Finish was terrible besides. I gave it one star. Probably a little generous, if anything. But there you go. I went one and a half star. I thought the first minute or two was was actually decent. And I liked, like Luger's sort of power up at the end with the power slam. But God, everything in between was just absolutely dreadful. Like, far, like say what you will about modern wrestling, but there's very rarely stuff that's this bad that makes oh, yeah. TV these days. Yeah, I mean, this is like... This this really a match as bad has not been on a major pay per view in a long time I think so, but you know, uh, the next show we got here we go to 1996 now we're uh, in the start of the NWO era. Uh, the match we ended up with was uh, the Giant defeating Jeff Jarrett by DQ in 9:55. Um, you know we, I, the bullet we dodged here was probably that Hogan Savage main event which I remember being quite terrible. Um, but the rest of the card, there's some pretty good stuff. I mean, I wouldn't have definitely wouldn't have minded seeing Malenko and and uh, Rey Mysterio. Oh, I love that match. Yeah, for the cruiserweight title. Uh, but you know, some some other good stuff here. Um, DTP and DTP and Eddie always had pretty good matches, I think. So, but uh, anyway, so this is during the epic. Uh, Ric Flair wants Jarrett in the Four Horsemen, but the other Horsemen don't storyline. Uh, and Jarrett is like fresh into WCW. At this point, the start would be a very uneventful run. Um, you know, his first match was a win over Hugh Morris in four minutes on the October 7th, 96 Nitro. So only a few weeks before this. Um, Jarrett, he took until Starcade to be officially made a Horseman member, if Wikipedia is to be believed. Uh, his run in the group does not last very long. He's, he's, he's kicked out, like, I think around May or June by uh, to start the big feud with uh, the infamous Steve Mongo McMichael. And that feud goes pretty much until he leaves the company after just one year. Uh, he when he shows up at WWF, he does like this big shoot interview on Raw, and pew, he basically yeah he basically he buries WCW for putting him in there with Mongo, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. Which I'm sure I'm sure that's how he actually felt. I mean, he he also like was critical of Vince, so he could sort of like get that edgy thing right, like I'm yeah. shooting on both companies type thing. Indeed. I also want to preface this by saying Jeff Jarrett is one of my least favorite wrestlers ever. And very few wrestlers have go-away heat. I think really only two, Jeff Jarrett and Randy Orton for me. But I was pleasantly surprised with this. Yeah, this was pretty good. Actually, let me, what did I give it? Let me say. Because uh, I don't remember what I rated this. Uh, eh. Actually, I, I think I liked it less than you, but we'll talk talk about it, I guess. Um, I, accidentally, I accidentally wrote this down as Ric Flair versus the Giant on Twitter when it's actually Jeff Jarrett with Ric Flair, so I apologize if... Uh, you saw the tweets and thought you were getting Flair versus Giant, which probably would have been better. Um, I want to give a shout out to the pre-match interview because, like, this was such a cool setup and shows like the effort they put into this NWO thing early on that they would not put into it at all later on. Like, instead of just having normal interviews with you know the normal WWE people, they had Ted DiBiase up in the fucking crowd. Basically, they put a giant NWO banner, um, you know, over one of these entryways from the concourse into the crowd. And, like, they had this NWO corner of the building, basically. And it really did feel like their own separate thing that wanted nothing to do with WCW and vice versa. Like, this was the kind of little touch that made this angle work so well early on that they completely abandoned by the time you get to, like, probably even 97, definitely 98. I mean, look, this, this looks so cool. This, like, little NWO set. I didn't watch the pre-match, but they 
in the po I watched like the post match because the next match was six versus Jericho, and I was like, I'm gonna watch that. Um, but yeah, DiBiase comes out again with Vincent and six, and then six enters through the crowd. Yeah, that's how Giant enters during this match too. Yeah. So yeah, it really it looks awesome. I mean, yeah, you know, like the and Tony also lets me know as Giant comes down that he's not actually the U.S. champion, even though he has the belt. Uh, and now I want to look up what the fuck happened with the U.S. title because I know that that uh, what's his name had to vacate it, uh, Ric Flair. So that's why the that's why Giant basically injured Ric Flair, I guess, in storyline, and that's why they had to vacate the title. But I don't know. It's uh, I don't know exactly what happened to it exactly. Let's see. Oh, okay, I don't know how they end up with a new champion or anything, but uh, and Wikipedia's not want to load for me. But <laughs> um, yeah, so they they basically had a um, you know, a storyline where the NWO kept stealing belts at this point because remember Six stole the um the cruiserweight title too. So uh, let's see the U.S. title. Yeah, I was confused because I forgot that the Giant was already in the NWO at this point. Yeah. Okay, so they so they didn't officially vacate the title until November. That's weird. Uh, November 25th. And then Eddie Guerrero is the next champion. He beats DDP in a tournament final for the vacant title uh, in December 96. So, yeah, that that's that weird period where, like, Eddie and D. Malenko traded the belt. And, like, they let the, they let the Cruiserweights have it for a little while. And then Jarrett wins it from Dean. And then it goes to Mongo and uh, Kurt Henning. And then back to DDP. And then they do the Raven stuff and all that. But that's a... Uh, Interesting little pair for the title, I guess. But yeah, so Giant has the belt here. He's not the champion. Uh, Giant hands the belt to Nick Patrick. And Tony is outraged that Nick Patrick holds the belt up. Since this is not a title match and Giant is not the champion. The camera completely misses this at first, by the way. <laughs> like, it completely misses it. We do finally see it as Jarrett comes out. Um, the camera goes back to the ring and shows uh, shows shows the Nick Patrick holding up the title. But there you go. Uh, Flair gets his own entrance for some reason. I don't know why. I guess just to give the crowd the, the Flair entrance, but because he has a Jarrett's major... not over, and they need to, <laughs> you know. Yeah, Jarrett. The crowd does not give a shit about Jarrett. Apparently, I, which I totally forgot about, the NWO actually invited Jarrett, and he turned them down. So he was the first guy to turn down the NWO, not DDP. Which, yeah, I totally because the DDP one I think is far more famous when he like they keep offering him this shirt and he keeps like t tearing it off and diamond cutting people and stuff but yeah apparently they offered jared the nwo shirt and he kept turning them down it's funny because it's probably uh has to do with some backstage politics because jared's like a recently arrived wwf guy but there's no way in hell holland nash would want him in the nwo like yeah. as a shoot type thing yeah uh so jared hits this like one jumping punch to giant and immediately struts which is actually pretty funny uh, he ducks a pair of clotheslines and starts strutting again. But then as Giant goes to grab him uh, from another punch, you know, goes to grab him, he hits another punch and gets out of his way again. Uh, it's kind of clever, that I guess, that his idea is to stick and move. Uh, but how he's going to, like, strut him to death, I'm not really sure. Uh, Flair on the outside loves it, though. So, I guess, why don't you talk about what you liked about this match? Because I didn't like it nearly as much as you seem to have. Well, I basically I liked the whole like the way that they wrestled. Mm. It's so fun to see the giant in 1995. He was awesome, I thought. I mean, limited, but he, in some ways, he played the character much better than he ever played the Big Show. Yeah, 
who like I mean like the Big Show would take a lot of offense. Big Show would sell a lot. Here he you know I mean he sold, but it was a lot more credible, and he was you know selling from sort of the Jarrett's hit and run offense, you know, and then I mean. I, if this had just had normal finish, I thought this would have been really great because this is going through the um, giant grabs him in the figure four with the choke, which I think he did. He not do that same spot to Ric Flair when he yeah. Ric Flair to win the WCW title. I think. Yeah, I think so. And which was a nice little callback. Um, and it was just basically the whole way the stout was it was wrestled. I thought it was like a very credible, you know, well, Jarrett's not small, but like versus an absolutely humongous man, a giant played his role very well. I mean, obviously the finish sucks, so I had to deduct marks from that. But I mean, it just—I just thought it was a really good way of how someone that is seven feet tall should be wrestling a match. Yeah, I mean, I liked it up to a certain point, but then it gets so ungodly boring to me that I, I took it down a lot because, like, okay, so they do the stick and move stuff. That stuff is good, um, but then like. You know, Giant hits, like, this elbow drop and, like, you know, does this long backbreaker rest hold over the knee. And then Flair grabs a mic, uh, starts trying to cheer Jarrett on to get up and kick his NWO ass. Uh, and then Giant, you know, keeps clubbing Jarrett's back. Uh, you know, just keep Jarrett keeps trying to fight back. Giant keeps clubbing him. Um, you know, he Jarrett goes for his crossbody off the corner turnbuckle. Giant easily catches him and then hits possibly the worst backbreaker I've ever seen. Like, he drops him, like, so lightly down under his knee that even Tony has to go, backbreaker. He hit him that hard with it, though. <laughs> like, even Tony Schiavone can't cover for that. Um, he does hold on and hits, like, slightly better one. But it's only, like, you know, moderately better. And then Giant just, like, continues walking, slowly walking around, clubbing Jarrett. It was really dragging for me at this point. He, like, whips Jarrett in the corner. Jarrett goes down. We got a very exciting bear hug. Uh, Jarrett gets out of it, you know, goes through Giant's legs very slowly after an Irish whip, uh, hits a pair of high drop kicks that stagger Giant, and then tries to slam like an idiot, and Giant falls on top of him for two count. Uh, and then we get the incredibly terrible finish, like you said. So Giant, you know, tries a, well, not, I'm going to be incredibly terrible, it's too strong, but just another shitty finish. Giant tries a singer's flash with Jarrett up against the post on the floor. Jarrett moves. Giant collides with the post. Jarrett gets the figure four on the outside, apparently trying to win by count out, but Giant just sits up and easily grabs Jarrett by the throat to block it. Um, he looks like he's going to go for the choke slam. Flair low blows him from behind, right in front of Nick Patrick. That's a DQ. Sometimes I feel like stuff on the outside is never a DQ, so that is also very inconsistent, right? Like, I feel like I've seen wrestlers interfere in matches a million times on the floor and not be a DQ. But it was a DQ here, apparently. So we're now 0 for 4 for clean finishes. It's um, not New Japan in the outside. <laughs> and this this is where, like, I was starting to wonder, like, is do, did, did any WWE match ever have a clean finish? Because, <laughs> like, we're on four different shows, four different matches, and they all have fuck finishes. It's like, okay. Um, then the other horse would come out, and Tony and Dusty act like the giant is a huge coward for not wanting to go one on five. <laughs> I'm just like, these fucking biased... I remember as a kid being like, wow, these WWE matches are very biased. Because, <laughs> like, they would be really unfair to the NWO. Like, the NWO were heels. But, like, in situations like this, like, the Tony and Bobby are like, oh, get in there, giant. What are you doing, giant? And it's like, there's five of them! 
Why no, is he Gi a coward for not Giants wanting to go one on five? On five Giants probably taken on five guys in WCW up before this point. They were maybe jobbers, but he's done it probably. It's true, but like, uh, didn't he come off to you as weird? Yeah. <laughs> it was very right. weird. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This The best thing I can say about this, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. I was kind of enjoying it early on when Jarrett was trying to stick and move. Um, but it got so boring by the end, and the finish was again so bad. I only went two stars. So I went three and a half. Okay, well, you really liked it then. Yeah. So, From my, one of my most hated wrestlers, too. Like, yeah. No. I mean, I just, I, I can see it, but like, it just, and I was enjoying it, but it got so fucking boring to me, so. Uh, the second to last match we're going to talk about here, uh, okay. From <laughs> 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 1998, a oh show. Oh, God. Now, look, we could have gotten a much worse match, I have to say. Oh, yeah, but this is just, but watching these two do this is what just makes it so infuriating and yeah. makes me angry. So some of the other matches. involved. Some of the other matches we could have gotten, uh, we could have gotten Hogan and the Warrior, which is one of the worst matches of all time. Uh, we could have gotten the Steiner battle that went under five minutes. Um, we could have gotten the Hall and Nash match. Remember that sucking. Uh, we could have gotten the, I don't even know, the Scott, the Bagwell and Steiner against Steiner and Giant match. Okay. Uh, we could have gotten Kim and Disco Inferno. Disco Inferno, that was pretty good if I remember correctly. Uh, we could have gotten uh, the main event, which I remember being awesome. It's Goldberg his Goldberg's DDP. best match, in my opinion. Yeah. So, like, Dave really underrated that three and a quarter, I have to say. Uh, but, yeah, the match we got was Bret Hart defeating Sting. In 1998, 15... Bret Hart. <laughs> yes. In 1504 to retain the United States title. Oh, boy. <laughs> this match. I remember, like, I don't remember hating this match as much as it was, as much as I hated here. Like, this match fucking sucked. Like, it was fucking terrible. Um... But before we talk about the things that sucked, let's talk about the positives. Bret Hart's WWE theme song was great. Like, when he when that theme song played and he came out, uh, I, I, that theme song was like, it always worked really well for him as a heel, especially. Um, so I wanted to point that out. It was a great theme song. Um, as a kid, I remember really finding Bret during this period, like, strangely intriguing, because it's like, he was clearly aligned with NWO Hollywood, but he would never wear the shirt for some reason. And this was, like, I guess, very fascinating to me when I was 12 years old. It's like, why would he put the shirt on? Because it, it was most absurd when, like, remember during the, the, the period where he was, uh, which started this feud, which went on forever. He was trying to recruit Sting to NWO Hollywood, right? And he's, like, is holding up the shirt. He's like, come to NWO Hollywood. I'm like, but you never put the shirt on, buddy. So why are you trying to I get... I feel like that's, like, Brett being, like, legit pissed off that he's in the position and being booked the way he is. And he's like, I'm not putting the fucking shirt on. <laughs> so you think it was a shoot? Yeah. Yeah. It was very, he's just angry. Like, I mean, there. look at him. He comes out. He doesn't have any, you know, he just seems so devoid of any charisma at this point. And he, when he just walk, like to me, when he walks out, he's got the, just a guy feels like, man, you're not like the, one of the best wrestlers, you know? Yeah. Uh, just, just I don't know. Just like I can't handle night watching 1998 Bret Hart. It's infuriating. Um, now, of course, then when he was involved in the NWO 2000 reunion at the end of '99, he immediately puts the shirt on because I he remember... was being pushed and he was the champion. <laughs> I remember right? being outraged about that, but you're right. It probably that probably was it. That probably was it. Um, but yeah, he takes forever to come out here too for some reason. Like his music is just playing for a long time before he even starts like walking out. Um, Sting, of course, is in the red and black of the Wolfpack here. 
and he's got a goatee. Like he's a got the goatee. Which looks weird as hell. Yeah. Um, this is the last appearance of the Red and Black, though, because he does an injury angle at the end of this match. He doesn't return to TV until uh, shortly before Spring Stampede in April. And that's well after the rest of the Wolf Pack had turned heel and, you know, re-merged with Hollywood to form the last version of the original group. And they were, like, on pretty much petering out at the point when Sting even returned. I mean, they yeah. weren't... I don't think they were I quite... remember that Sting returned very well. Yeah. Yeah, what was and, it like? Yeah. It was hilarious because he he returns and, like, like, a couple weeks later, he wins the title on Nitro from DDP and then drops it back on the final hour of Nitro on the same episode back to DDP. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But but do you remember what he said? I don't remember what he said about the NWO or anything. I think he said no, that. No, I don't remember any of that. Yeah. And he wasn't even really feuding with them, was he? No. No, I don't think he was. Because the NWO was pretty much done by that point. So it wasn't quite like, like they were still guys, but like, yeah, you could tell it was like petering out. Um, But yeah, like the, you know, so when he comes back, he has his normal black and white face paint. That's the point. Uh, so Brett takes forever to get in the ring. Uh, Sting is, I have in my notes Brett pulling a Jay White. <laughs> he takes a long time. Sting is brandishing a baseball bat, so that makes sense. Uh, Brett does finally get in when Sting gets in, but he immediately bails again when Sting gets into the ring. Uh, he keeps like begging off and staying behind the ref and Sting comes after him. It feels so fucking fake. Because like even when Brett was a heel in WWF, he was never doing this begging off shit. No, he was the best heel in the world at the time, I yeah. think. And I don't remember him doing this fucking Ric Flair shit, but I don't know. Um, finally, Brett gets in the ring as the bell rings, and then Brett bails immediately again. Uh, he threatens to punch a middle-aged woman in a Goldberg shirt in the front row. Oh, yeah, was, God. That yeah. was funny. Uh, he had a big smile on his face. not like he was really threatened to do it. Uh, Brett turns his back on Sting completely. That was probably the most fun he had had in the company in, like, <laughs> all year. Arguing with this middle-aged woman, yeah. Yeah. Uh, inexplicably, he turns his back on Sting. Why? I have no idea. He just turns around suddenly and is like, eh, I don't need to worry about Sting. Uh, and Sting comes after him and, like, grabs him and tosses him back in the ring at that point. Uh, he pounds away in the corner, gives him a weak clothesline. Brett is really, like, begging off like he's Ric Flair, which is, you know, not an odd look for him even as, even as a heel. Uh, you know, Sting punches him and sends him in the turnbuckle. Um, you know, Sting whips Brett in the corner, stomps on him. Keeps punching away with not much happening. Uh, Brett, like, fires back with much better punches, I have to say. Brett, Brett's punches were always awesome. Uh, even during this period, apparently. Headbutts him and gives him the big face scrape over the top rope and a DET. Gets a two count. Uh, Brett controls a lot of his usual offense. Um, we got a Bret Hart sucks chant. He hits a leg drop for a two count. That's That Bret, that one Bret Hart sucks chant is probably the most heat the match has the entire time. Because the crowd goes right back to being 100% dead right after uh, not not that I can blame them. But yeah, Brett, like, hits some uninteresting offense and then slaps out a chin lock to really bring up the excitement level here. Uh, the crowd does finally start chanting for Sting to fight back a bit as he gets out of it. Um, but then Brett hits him with a knee to the chest to stop that comeback right away. Chokes him up against the ropes. Uh, Sting finally comes back and gets the Scorpion Deathlock, which does wake up the crowd a lot. But Brett makes the ropes pretty much immediately to put a stop to that. And then we get a fake knee injury spot. Because why not? Let's, let's just do every fucking cheap Memphis heel bullshit here. Uh, now, to Sting's credit, he does not fall for it at all. 
Uh, he gets a lot of shit for being a famously stupid babyface. <laughs> Most of what he deserves, but he is not fa- like he's like that man's not hurt. The referee that falls for it though, like he was backing Sting up long enough for Brett to put on some brass knuckles or something. Because again, we're doing every cheap hate bullshit here. Uh, Sting though knocks Brett down, takes the takes the brass knuckles from Brett, goes to punch Brett with it. The ref grabs his arm to stop it, which I just found kind of funny. Like, this referee grabbing his arm, like, no, Sting! Uh, it's like, why don't you just let him do it in the DQ? I don't, okay. Uh, Brett low blows him from behind with the ref out of position. Um, I, I don't know. Does that spot count as clever? I don't, the live crowd doesn't no. seem to care. Okay. <laughs> I think this match is clever. <laughs> we then get a much dumber spot. Okay. These next two spots are two of the dumbest spots maybe in wrestling history. Sting accidentally back elbows the referee, thinking it's Brett. He throws his elbow that's about 50 feet from the ref, uh, Billy Silverman, I think, from his head. And Billy Silverman takes a bump. Now, how the fuck did you think, even feeling him, you know, like the air from his body, or him, like, putting his hands on you from behind, did you think Bret Hart shrunk half a foot? (laughs) Like, Billy Silverman's a pretty tiny man. Like, what the fuck are you, like, why did you, like, elbow this man? Um, yeah, Brett, Brett immediately dropping a leg on him when he's down for good measure. That was pretty hilarious, I have to say. Like, he just doesn't even pause. He's like, boom, leg drop. Things just really fell apart at this point, though. <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, my God. Um, you know, so Sting keeps beating up, beating up Brett. Um, I don't, I don't know what happens to this. Sting, like, it looks to me like Sting drops down to check on the ref in the middle of fighting Brett. But really, the announcers say Brett gave him a boot to the face like, so devastating, he had to lean over forever. It was very stupid. Uh, it goes nowhere anyway, because Sting immediately, like, comes back and superplexes Brett off the top onto the dead ref's legs, which was, like, kind of funny. And then all three men just lay there for some real thrilling, uh, thrilling action. Sting goes for a stinger. Okay, here's the next dumbest spot of all time. So, Bret Hart is in the corner. His back is facing Sting. His, you know, face facing the turnbuckle. Sting goes for a stinger splash, but he just slides over Brett and collides at the ring post, knocking himself out. So the big spot in the match that ends up being the doom of Sting is him going for his move and being a klutzy moron and hitting the post and knocking himself unconscious. What? What the fuck? I, I totally forgot about this. What the fuck was this? Why did they do that? Do you, give me some answers, Gerard. Why did they do this? I don't know because I stopped trying to even think about this match at this point and try to even like rationalize any of it. I mean, just one of the dumbest spots we've ever seen. Like, why would you book a baby face to knock himself unconscious by his, by his own fucking fall? It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, this is what they thought was protecting Sting. <laughs> like, that's the only possible. Um, yeah, I have in my notes the finish. Literally, if they had just ripped off the finish to Austin versus Hart from WrestleMania 13 this match would have been a lot better. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm just talking about like, yeah, it, it still would have sucked, but it just wouldn't have been offensively bad. So Brett then heads to the outside, grabs his baseball bat, beats him senseless with it, but he's very, he's very already unconscious. So who cares? Uh, Brett then hits him with the bat off the top to the throat, rolls the bat to the floor, revives the ref, drags him to his feet, locks Sting in the sharpshooter just to be a dick, which is actually a good heel move. Uh, and the ref checks his arm three times, calls a win for Brett, uh, Brett grabs the U.S. title. Do you notice a different theme song played when he won? Like a no, much, I didn't it was that. like a much worse one too. It was very weird. 
Uh, Brett poses with the belt as Sting just lays there dead. And finally, Brett leaves and the EMTs come out for Sting. So, again, to get to make this clear, Sting elbows the referee like an idiot, apparently thinking Brett shrunk six, shrunk six inches. Sting then hits his own head on the ring post like an idiot, knocking himself unconscious and taking himself out of the match. And then Sting loses. So Sting, entirely his fault here to lose this match. Nobody books a babyface like WCW. Uh, yeah, this match was way, 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 way worse than I remembered it being. This is the worst match we watched. It was Bret Hart and Sting was significantly worse than like Lex Luger and Ming. Like I, I, I don't even know how that's possible. But like, there's no almost no redeeming qualities about this at all. Like stalling from Bret, lifeless offense, dead crowd, our fifth straight terrible finish, and probably the worst one of them all, honestly. Uh, I gave it half a star, and that might be generous. It might be generous, I should say. Terrible. Terrible, terrible match. Uh, I still think Luger versus Ming was more boring. Uh, this match, to me, was boring for most of it, and then didn't really get offensive until the ending, so I went one and three-quarter star. But it's funny, because the first time I ever had heard about this match, I, could, I didn't, didn't see the pay-per-view, but I had this WCW magazine that was, like, 1998 in review, so there was, like, two parades two-page spreads of each pay-per-view with, like, pictures of all the matches and, like, comments about the match. And then the Brett... Like, I remember this vividly because I was like, oh, I want to see Brett versus Sting so bad. And so for the Brett versus Sting match, they made it sound like this was, like, the most brutal, violent match like, that had ever taken place. And, like, Sting had to be stretched out and everything like that. And, of course, when I finally saw it, I was greatly disappointed. Yeah, it was really, really terrible. I mean, really terrible. So, I don't know what else to say. I mean, Brett, if you want to see, like, it, it does encapsulate Brett in 98 because, like, he doesn't, he clearly doesn't give a shit. Uh, he clearly does not want to be booked this way and clearly is, like, basically going out there almost under protest. And, you know, it's just, I mean, like, this is a guy who a year ago was a super hot heel who had one of the most famous moments in wrestling history happen to him. And this is what they're doing with him 11 months later. Having him wrestle a terrible match against Sting, where he could be any other generic heel uh, for a secondary title. Do you think this match is even any better if Sting is fully healthy, or Brett would have just been a asshole? What, anyway? Wait, was Sting hurt? I thought Sting just took a vacation. I thought, this was, I thought he was injured, and that's why he left. Oh, he I, won a lot of time. I always, I thought, it, even, I thought it was a knee thing, but I could be totally wrong. But that's, maybe, maybe you're right. I don't know. I thought, I thought it was just Sting taking a vacation, but. Anyway, does it, does, either way, who knows, who cares. I, I don't think it would have been any better because Brett just didn't give a shit. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. Uh, the last match we're going to talk about was from Halloween Havoc 99, which, uh, do you know why this show is famous, Gerard? I'm sure you're probably... This is the first know. Russo and Ed Ferreira <laughs> yeah. interview. Well, the first show period, I think. No, I think that, they, um, did a, they were on a Nitro before. Or, no, was it Halloween Havoc then the Nitro? I, I don't remember. I think it was Halloween Havoc then the Nitro, yeah. Okay. But I could be wrong. But um, they're definitely the first pay-per-view. Definitely the first pay-per-view, yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> like, if you look at this card, I mean, everything goes, like, five minutes, practically. Uh, I think the longest match on the entire show is Rick Steiner and Chris Benoit, 12 minutes and 50 seconds. The card does not look bad on paper. The execution is another. Yeah. Like, I, I like you know, I mean, go, like, no matter who's booking, Goldberg versus Sid is going to be a train wreck, yeah. but it's the kind of train wreck I would like to see. You know, yeah. Sort of 
I mean, I don't, I really don't remember the show well at all. Honestly, the only thing I remember from it is the the famous like uh, Sting, Hogan lays down for Sting angle, uh, which of course they they totally ripped off. Of them. They ripped themselves off for Bash of the Beach, which was bizarre. And then the Goldberg beating Sting thing at the end with the open challenge, and then uh, you know, which ended up being what's the word like? Uh, it ended up being like completely you know rendered moot the next night. Because yeah, because they, they do the tournament. Yeah. yeah. They just strip. They strip Sting of the. Oh, they strip Goldberg of the title. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it was a. <laughs> it was a. I'm sure it was a weird, not that great show. And yeah, and they're it, well. I I didn't. I only watched a, a few minutes after the match. But they were, of course, in Russo style, like doing like backstage angles, like like a Monday Night Show style yeah. in between the matches on a pay per view and everything. And it's yeah. just like, Oh my god. Um, so the pre match promo here is Eddie Guerrero, Billy Kibben, and Tori Wilson. Uh, Mike Tanay informs Eddie that the Filthy Animals and the Revolution have both been barred from ringside. Uh, he asks him for an update on Conan, so I guess he's been hurt or something. And we see that Eddie has Ric Flair's gold watch he stole from him earlier. And then he's aghast that Tanay would imply he's a thief. So, uh, According to Tony, Saturn is one of the two remaining members of the Revolution. Now, I do remember this. Malingo and Benoit left the group, leaving it just as Saturn and Douglas or Saturn Douglas, but Malenko immediately turns on Benoit. I don't know if it's on this show or if it's on Nitro the next night, but he immediately turns on Benoit and goes right back to the Revolution. So it ends up being like a three-man. I group. like the Revolution because it was it's like going through the slog of 99 WCW when they formed it. I was like, yeah, finally. Because, like, you know, those were the guys that I wanted to see pushed. Yeah, but then I think they get, like, destroyed after that, though, so... Do you remember the, the weird period where, like, when after Russo books them, he starts booking them as more of, like, a literal revolution where, like, they're, they they declare their own country? Such a oh, weird... Oh, I vaguely remember this. I feel like Saturn was, like, a, had a lot to do with that part, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a really, really weird period. It's like, that. that's such a weird period. Uh, Saturn's overdub music, by the way, truly horrible. His network overdub music, it's, like, really bad. Um, the animals, thankfully, still have their theme song and all its uh, homemade or amateur rap glory, which, you know, I always like that song for some reason. And then Eddie gives the gold watch to the brain because he doesn't trust that thief to Tony. Uh, Tony's reaction to that is actually pretty funny. But yeah, this match, I don't know how you felt about it. I enjoyed this a lot. Uh, oh, I love this. Yeah. This is the best match. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this was, I think, the best match we talked about, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the big problem was the crowd did not give a fuck. Like, a single fuck about this match other than a few spots here or there. Like, there were points where, like, they were doing some pretty fun mat wrestling and, like, some stuff that was, you know, ahead of its time, if anything. And the crowd was, like, actively getting hostile. And you could hear some people chanting, like, starting, starting, starting like, And that's not even Russo's fault. That's, like, how WCW had trained their crowds, basically. Yeah. So, you know, it starts out with some nice little fast-paced action. Um, Eddie uses the steps on the outside, but then Saturn... Comes back and press slams him on the side of them, which looks nasty. Uh, Saturn hits a nice little pop up power bomb. He like tosses Eddie in the ropes and then like tosses him up and power bombs him, and then floats over for a two count. That looked really cool. Uh, hits like a twisting springboard crossbody, just getting a shit in here, I guess. Uh, and then gives him like a weird like arm drag into some kind of knuckle lock, and then like transitions it into an arm bar. And again, this is not a crowd that's going to appreciate the finer points of mat wrestling. They're totally dead here, and like a few people start the boring calls. Uh, Saturn goes for a cross arm breaker, but that's not over at all here. And Eddie, in fact, you know, nearly gets pinned while he's in it to no reaction. 
Uh, he does hook his hands to block it and eventually gets out of it. You could tell a lot of this, a lot of this was just the two of them doing stuff they thought was cool uh, and not really caring about the crowd, I don't think. But, uh, you know, Saturn takes Eddie straight down to some kind of other wacky arm lock, also gets no reaction. Uh, he lets Eddie out and, like, starts punching him, but Eddie gets out of it with a kick to the gut and, like, snap mares him and steps right on his face. It's a nice basement drop kick. But Saturn comes back with an exploder, like a huge exploder suplex. Like, he really oh, yeah. tosses Eddie across the ring. Uh, Eddie gets his foot on the ropes to, to break it for the when Saturn covers. Uh, Saturn, like, you know, starts going after the leg and, like, gets some kind of wacky leg lock. Um, Eddie, like, pokes him in the eyes to break it, which is a great little way to break it, and then hits a backdrop suplex for a two count. And then when Saturn kicks out, Eddie goes straight into what, look, what looks like an attempt at, like, a key lock or something. Which, well-applied key lock, but the crowd does not want to see any holds at all. So they're not not into that at all. Uh, Saturn does this awesome, like, flip backwards just into Eddie. Like, lifting Eddie straight up and, like, slamming him down out of the hold. Which, that looks so cool that it did get a reaction. And he hits a second rope lion salt for a two count. He goes for another one. Eddie gets his knees up this time. Uh, Eddie then follows up with a really nice front suplex with a little delay in the middle. Like, not quite a... I wouldn't call it a delayed suplex because the delay wasn't that long, but uh, it did look pretty cool. And it goes up top and goes for a frog, frog splash, but uh, Saturn rolls out of the way. And then Saturn tries to springboard off the middle rope. Eddie hits him with a counter drop kick in midair. Really cool little spot. Um, he goes to charge Saturn in the corner. He misses and collides with the turnbuckle. Um, Saturn tries to set Eddie up on the top. Eddie pushes him away. Uh, Saturn comes right back with an interesting super kick to the legs that takes his legs out from under him. And then he hits a big superplex off the top, leaves both guys down. He crawls over and covers. Eddie kicks out. Um, you know, then we get like a little, like, another superplex. But then, God forbid, we get anything resembling a finish on WCW show because Ric Flair comes charging out with a crowbar and assaults Eddie for the DQ. Uh, Kidman runs out. He gets beaten up too. And then, unfortunately, Tori runs out. Flair dances around her, forces himself on her for a kiss. And since this is October 1999, she loves being kissed against her will, apparently, and has a big smile. Not very cool, uh, but there you go. And then Flair, Flair runs back out and remembers to get his watch, which I thought was... I bet that was a shooter, but he actually forgot to get the watch. <laughs> but that was funny. No, I thought that was just, like, a little, like, oh. joke. Like, clo- I was like... To me, I was like, wow, Russo actually booked a successful story arc closure. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I thought it was just, like, a funny little touch. It worked better that way to me with Flair coming, having to come back out to room because he forgot his watch. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was a ton of fun before he went six for six and terrible finishes. Uh, the live crowd hated it, but who gives a shit what these drunk Vegasites were probably all comped. <laughs> think about this fucking match. Uh, they did some really nice mat wrestling. Probably ahead of its time for 99 in the U.S. And a bunch of cool spots. Uh, I went three and a half because it was 11 minutes and I had a terrible finish. But I had a good time. Well, my notes say, uh, fuck it, four stars, actually. Wow. Because I just really love this match. Um, <clears throat> I have always maintained that Saturn was an incredibly underrated talent. Yeah, he was really good. And... I had forgotten, and I hadn't watched. I hadn't watched the Saturn match in so long, and I was just like, "Oh God damn, this is why I loved him so much!" Right? He was awesome. Yeah, awesome, I mean, awesome, it, awesome. like a few more minutes and a real finish, and this would have been four stars for me, easy too. But um, 
the the only thing like this match has like a you know really low average on grapple only like six people but like it has like a two and a half i'm just like this is like one of those matches where people are rating it based on the crowd reaction i guess because like or just having to sit through a wcw show i guess so but yeah because if you're sitting through a show the match is like you know a decent like three and a half even maybe almost four level but has a shitty ending you're just gonna like bury the whole thing even if it was (laughs) decent that's a good point that's a good point so overall i would say the results of this experiment uh mixed at best (laughs) well i mean think about this i don't know uh i think there was there's been i was listening to the five-star match game and the bonus question was how many um matches that had there been in halloween havoc history is i think 111 or something like that like 110 between 110 120 but think about this we do the random six and in out of four out of four of the six matches basically involve the same two people interfering rick flair and harley race (laughs) in the finishes and this is totally random yeah and every single one has some kind of terrible finish um i i don't know it was like this this definitely scratched my itch for wcw nostalgia i don't know if i'm gonna it did not make me want to go uh leap through the archives and watch more let's just say well i mean if you were like <laughs> i'm just gonna put a bunch of cruiserweight matches from whether they be on nitro or a pay-per-view in a randomizer i think it'd be a different story yeah but you'd have to like if you wanted to do good wcw random matches you'd have to like curate the list that you put in the randomizer exactly but uh, I hope you had fun with it anyway, Gerard. It was it was an interesting look back. <laughs> uh, my biggest takeaway, though, out of all of this was, like, Bret Hart was a miserable bastard. Yeah. And Saturn was fucking awesome and should get more love. Yeah. Those are, those are two good takeaways. Um, my other takeaway, again, is even this, this still felt way more like, even with all the terrible finishes and stuff, at least it felt like wrestling, which watching WWE nowadays and even AEW. Uh, kind of. It doesn't often feel like wrestling. That's true. So. I do agree. I, I do agree with that. Also, it's funny because we were talking about the finishes. They hired Johnny Ace to do the finishes in, uh, yeah, in in the summer of two thousand, and uh, it didn't do anything. Really? I guess he just uh, can't can't get past that Russo suck. I guess I don't know. Yeah, probably well, that's what, you, what it was. But they like specifically hired him to do the finishes. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. Gerard, do you got anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, well, uh, as we're heading into November, I will have a big preview of the Real World Tag League and coverage of all the shows, so watch for that on VoicesOfWrestling.com. All righty. And, of course, folks, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase, Wrestling Wouldn't Fit. Uh, next week, we'll be going back to covering current wrestling here. Um, I'm very, very pleased to be joined by returning guest Haley will be joining me, and she and I will be talking about three big shows uh, from New Japan, the... Um, Oh, God, Power Struggle. I don't know why my, my brain went to Dominion for a second. I'm like, it's definitely not Dominion. Yeah, so New Japan, although both Osaka, maybe that's why. But yeah, New same J- main event. <laughs> same main event, too. That's true. Uh, New Japan Power Struggle, DDT Ultimate Party, and Tokyo Joshi Wrestle Princess. So we'll be talking all three of those shows. It'll be fun to do some DDT and Tokyo Joshi. We haven't done it in a while here with all the uh, tournaments that we've been covering and stuff. But yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, of course, patreon.com slash wrestling Um If you like this retro roulette format, I think we'll do another one, maybe for Starcade, maybe for something else, I don't know. So that'll be like a different thing to do with the five matches, you know, different way of, uh, you know, covering old stuff. I think we will probably do that on the Patreon going forward. But 
yeah, I mean, we'll, this is a, a fun little thing to do here for Halloween, but we'll be definitely back to covering current wrestling and current Japanese wrestling starting next week, which, you know, kicks off a run of covering, you know, the DO and the two New Japan tournaments. So that'll be taking us taking up our time here for the next month or so. And again, they'll be all over on the Patreon too. So patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. In the meantime, folks, uh, but thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.